0: Hey there, I am Tom Morello, and on this episode of Maximum Firepower, my good, beloved friend, Michael Moore. Mike, what's going on? Nice to see you.
1: Tom, how are you? Uh, between the fires and the floods, the locusts, I think we're going to make it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just saying. We have yet to have a river of blood and some and some uh, goat's blood over the door so far, so I think we're just, we are we may be edging towards the apocalypse, but we're still... Uh, so we're still pre-locust right now.
1: We're pre-locust and we're, and we're, and we are on the safe side of the precipice uh right now. Yeah. Uh But I don't know how many more days that's going to last. Yeah, so, that'll...
0: All right. So we're going to, we're going to start this. Mike and I have been, Mike, Michael Moore is the acclaimed documentary and film director, Oscar winning film director, director of Rage Against the Machine videos, which we'll talk about in a little bit for 20-some years now, Mike and I have been very, very close friends. I've had a lot of adventures, both behind the scenes and on the stage. And I'd like to sort of start this discussion with, there was a time, Mike, when you introduced the band Rage Against the Machine in your hometown of Detroit.
1: How did that go? It went exactly as you warned me (laughs) how it would go. The night before, night before you guys played Chicago, and it seemed like in many cities if you had a friend in that city or a relative or whatever, they would come out and introduce the show. Sure. So the night before it was your mother in Chicago. And you had warned me that it was one of the rare nights that when the person coming out to introduce the show was not pelted with numerous objects yeah. from uh, the uh, arena, because it's your mother. You're not yeah. going to do that. Yeah. yeah. But as soon as you guys came out, they then started flying whatever, whatever they had in their hands. They just yeah. were whipping it up to the stage. And one of those things caught you in the lip. Yes. Yeah, split. You med- remember this? Yeah, split med- yes. Med- yes. Yeah. Split yeah. the lip. Yeah. And yet you went on to do two to three hours with, I don't know what was going on. I don't know what the protocols were back then, like in the NBA when there's blood.
0: Yes. but they, um, yeah, they, were, they were not so stringent back then. Not
1: so stringent. I would imagine. So, And this is, geez, what year is this? This This is 1999. 1999. Okay. So we are in the palace at Auburn Hills uh, where the Pistons used to play. Uh, The building is no longer there. And I came backstage just to say hi uh, beforehand. And you said, hey, would you mind introducing us? I'm not. Oh, well, that'd be an honor. That's great. (laughs) He goes, okay, but let me warn you. (laughs) When you walk out there, you're going to be pelted with all sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, it could be food. It could be a Frisbee. <laughs> uh, it, it could be a small jackknife. Um, <laughs> but, just, but just know they're not doing this because they don't like you. It's their way to show affection and love.
0: That's right.
1: So as you get hit. Feel the love.
0: Yeah, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Keep
1: that in mind. So I was good with that. I walk out. I swear to God, Tom, I still have this image in my head. So there has to be 20,000 with the floor, maybe 25,000 people there. And the floor is just one big mosh pit. And there are human centipedes just making their way on top of people's hands. I, I mean I've seen mosh pits before. Yeah. I mean this is I'm, before
0: this is before the show started.
1: This is before the show started.
0: Yeah, this is before the show started. No, no, no.
1: Yeah, the show hasn't started. Yeah. You know, I'm somebody who saw the Ramones in the Village back in the 70s or 80s. I mean, this is this I had not seen. This I had not seen and it was it was actually amazing and it was exhilarating and I go up to the microphone and all of a sudden I get <laughs> pelted with one thing after another and I but I take it. I take it <laughs> like a real Midwesterner. That's right. And I introduce uh, all of you guys, and you came out, and I went back to first aid, yeah. and I, <laughs> I think I saw the second half of the show.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate, I appreciate you were you were game, Mike. You were no one could say you weren't game. You, oh, uh,
1: I mean, I mean to be to be battered and bruised, cut uh, at a Rage Against the Machine Cons, yeah. uh, I, I come on. I, I carry that with me to this day. I've shared it with the grandchildren. It's yes, all good.
0: You've, you, you, were, you were suffering for our art.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and the fact that you were willing to go back out the next day, where well, your lip is still healing. It's not yeah, fixed yeah. yet. Yeah. But, you know, geez, that, was, I, that goes down as one of the greatest concerts, though, I had ever been to in my lifetime. And it would, what would be the top, the top three? Well, the first concert in the Silver Dome mm. in Pontiac, Was uh, the who that certainly was one of the great concerts in the Cleveland stadium, which holds 80,000 people back way back in the day when they were uh, actually abandoned at the beginning, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, that was incredible, but, uh, and then maybe the clash uh at the fox theater in detroit oh, Wow! at the fox yeah, yeah, that's
0: yeah. A, what, a, what a great what an epic venue for an epic band oh my today.
1: god oh it's amazing so,
0: so i want so so one thing we didn't I, I recently did mike's uh mike has an excellent podcast called rumble and uh i just recently did mike's podcast we talked about a lot of our history and stuff so i'm trying to like sort of come up with some different stuff that we talked about there. So one thing, you, you might know Michael Moore as, as the person who has directed the highest grossing documentaries of all time, uh, Bowling for Columbine, which won the Oscar and Fahrenheit 9/11. But Mike's career as an activist began at a very very young age. So Mike, tell us how tell, tell us wow. about your the trouble your youthful troublesome self.
1: That is the sad story. It was it, was, uh, it started very young. It probably started in elementary school. <laughs> um the poor nuns Uh, But they had to put up with uh, from me. It wasn't the kind of trouble where I was, you know, playing with matches and trying to burn the school down. Uh, It was by the time I was in high school, the first time that I, um, I got selected to go to this thing called Boy State. Did you have that in Illinois?
0: I went to Boy State too. Yes.
1: No kidding. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's like the summer after your sophomore or junior year. Yeah. Yeah. And they try to pick the students that they think are going to be good citizens. And we're supposed to go there and learn mm-hmm. how democracy works. And yes. we run for office and all this. Yes, well. Yes. I didn't realize all that when I got there and I like, I didn't want to run for anything. I didn't want to do it. I, I just, I, they were all the kids that wanted to, you know, um, be in student council yeah. and achievers. while I and, achievers, achievers, but student council, I don't know what it's like these days, but back then it was just bake sales, yeah. you know, or rah, rah for the football yeah. team or, you know, whatever. So I decided not to go to any of the gatherings to learn how to run for office. I just stayed in my dorm. They was dorm rooms on the Michigan state campus. And I just stayed in the dorm room the whole time. And I would go out if, and you know, I have to eat. So I go down to the vending machine and they had these new potato chips back then called ruffles. Of course, not new now. Everybody knows what they are, but they were brand new this summer. And I thought, Ooh, I love the idea where you could get more chip per chip because it would go up in like waves. One wave and more. I love these things. So one day I go down to get the chips and there's a poster on the bulletin board. It says uh, enter the speech contest, write a speech on the life of Abraham Lincoln and win a prize sponsored by the Elks Club. Well, my dad had actually just gone to join the Elks Club with his buddies. And, he, and they give him the, the the form to fill out, and it, at the very top it said Caucasians only. Oh my! And so my dad's like, "I'm not joining this," and he walks out, and uh, he tells me this story. Now I'm like months later at Boy State, and they're they, this racist club is sponsoring a contest on the life of the Great Emancipator, yes. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. So I just said to myself, well, I'm munching on the ruffles, you know. I'm going to go write me a speech. Yeah. (laughs) And so I went back to the dorm room and I just wrote this, this, how dare the Elks club dishonor Abraham Lincoln by sponsoring a contest when they only allow Caucasians. And, you know, and I just, just, and so I show up the next day to give the speech in this little classroom with all the other kids who wrote, you know, decent speeches. And at the end of it, the speech teacher, who's the judge, stands up and says, "And, and the winner is Michael Moore. And I'm like, what? I just all I did was just knock the whole thing. He goes, it was beautiful. (laughs) And and then he and then he says, he says, now tomorrow at the end, where they announce all the winners of governor of Boy State, the state legislature, you have to give this speech. I said, Oh no, 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 no. He goes, Oh, yes, yes, yes. Or we'll have to call your parents. Oh man. Yeah. So I show up the next day, I go up on the stage. There's all these, the governor of Michigan is sitting there and the head of the Elks club for Michigan is sitting Excellent. there. And I'm like, oh, no, this is going to go south really quick. Anyways, I'm really nervous. I'd like to give this, I'd like to just say, I I just, and I just turned to the Elks guy and goes, we don't want any of your racism and you sponsoring this contest. I just want to say, <laughs> I just go off. <laughs> And all the kids, the fellow high school, they're all cheering me on and yeah. all this. And then at the end, the Elks guy has to hand me the trophy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He stands up with the trophy. Like yeah. he didn't hear a single thing I said. <laughs> walks over to me with a trophy and I just turned to him and I said into the microphone, and I don't want your stinking trophy. <laughs> and I just walk off the stage. And in fact, I was going to say I ran off the stage because I wanted to get, but I, you know, uh, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to scare people if they're trying to imagine me running. But, but I got out of there really quick, got back to the dorm room, locked the door. <laughs> An hour later, knock, knock, knock. There's a phone call for you. And so there's a payphone down at the end of the hall. I go down there. Yes, uh, this is uh, uh Jonathan uh, Benjamin. I'm the uh senior producer at the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. <laughs> oh my and gosh. It just came across the wire what uh, what you did today in Lansing, Michigan and and uh we'd like you to come on the news tonight. That we want to send our, a crew over. And I'm like, <laughs> "No." <laughs> I mean, you know this part of me because it's still there yeah, today. Yeah. I am very, I'm kind of a shy, I know I, yeah. no one's yeah. believing this, but I'm a shy, introverted person on many levels. On some levels, no. But on this, I did not want to go on TV, and I didn't. But nonetheless, Walter Cronkite that night, and today in Lansing, Michigan, a 16-year-old boy took on the Elks Club for their discriminatory practices. <laughs> so so just for the people who know, the, the Civil Rights Act had passed you know, in 1964 but they still allow private organizations to do these uh, yeah, yeah. these things. Uh, in other words, discriminate and not allow anybody other than white people in it. A few months later, I get asked to testify in Congress They've They've got a bill to fix this part of the Civil Rights Act where you cannot discriminate, even in private clubs, even in private. If if that's a you know, it's not it's just it's illegal. And um I was too scared to go down there. And uh, to DC, Philip Hart was our senator then in Michigan and uh, so uh, but they anyways, they passed it. Uh, it was signed and um, and I I learned an incredible lesson at 16 years old that while wow, you could really make something happen if you just did,
0: anything yes if that was did. not yeah.
1: i was just hungry for some chips <laughs>
0: for some ruffles
1: <laughs> for some ruffles and so all of a sudden now there's a, a law that's changed yeah. and i um but it was a great lesson to learn at a young age that actually all of us can make change happen sometimes by just showing up yeah yeah just get off the couch and get out there get in the street go to this go to that you and, know and,
0: and uh, saying something that you think is true Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
1: True to yourself. Yeah. True from your heart, uh, your conscience, all of that. So that's where that trouble, so-called trouble started, where from that and then uh, uh, a year later, I they lowered the voting age to 18 from 21 to 18. And I ran uh, for office and became the first 18 year old youngest person ever elected in the state of Michigan to the Board of Education Yeah. And um, so then, you know, that happened and then I eventually started my own newspaper called The Flint Voice and and the uh, police chief and the mayor, who was the former police chief, uh, did a raid on our printing press and took all the papers that we had printed, took the printing plates off. They actually had a thing from a judge because we'd written a story about the mayor uh, using federal employees to, you know, uh, campaign for him, which is illegal. And uh, so we went to court on that. We won that. Uh, We got to put our paper out, but this all goes back to, I'm at this story I'm telling you is, is I'm only 24 years old at that point. So
0: all this stuff is between 16 and 24,
1: 16 and 24. And then I, and then I realized uh, then that, you know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to die, but short of that or losing a limb, I, I, should have, I should be as fearless as I can be, and, and we all should be.
0: I'm Tom Morello. This is Maximum Firepower. My guest today is Oscar winning documentarian Michael Moore, Roger and Me. If you, yes. if those who are listening who have not seen Roger and Me, it, is a, it was Mike's first movie. And in some ways, it still is about like the soul of America is kind of condensed into this a young film. How old were you when you made Roger and Me?
1: I was, uh, let's see, I started that film when I was 32.
0: I oh, want you were 32 yeah. So it's basically yeah. it's basically this sort of unknown dude from Flint, Michigan <laughs> who chases around the head of an automobile a uh, uh, Roger what's Roger's last name? Smith. Roger Smith like the head of a of a major automobile corporation to just like try to get him to to engage with him about the destruction of the community where he comes from. And it's um it also opened the door to a different kind of documentary filmmaking where it's not just sort of like presenting a bunch of images and statistics. It's a personal story, your personal story as you, as you wend your way through these corridors of power, absolutely, absolutely fearlessly. Um, so check out Roger me if you haven't.
1: So thanks for saying that. Yeah. That's my firstborn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like, (laughs) I'm, uh, I, it's, it, it's amazing how it holds up sadly. Yeah. Because, um, because what I was trying to say in that film, and I'm probably, i probably a critic uh, some time ago after my, I don't know, seventh or eighth film said, really, what we've been on this journey since Roger and me is it's like a 30 hour. If you put all his films together, meaning mine, it's a 30 hour documentary on the evils of capitalism and told in all these different ways. And I thought, well, that's an interesting way to look at it, because it is I am trying to say the same things I was saying 30 years ago. And I'm, you know, I haven't stopped. I mean, you're the you're the same way, yeah. uh just a bit younger.
0: Yeah, <laughs> just a, just a bit. Uh yeah, and I think that that's that's very accurate. it's either through the lens of healthcare, through the lens of gun proliferation, or through the lens of uh wars in the Middle East. But now, in addition to Mike's movies, there were a couple of TV shows that I was a huge fan of, a show called oh, TV Nation and a show yes. called The Awful Truth. Now, one time I I pinned Mike down. We were somewhere having some like and creams in some bar somewhere and i said mike because the these are those shows are kind of like 60 minutes but from a michael moore perspective where he goes out and he kicks kicks ass and uncovers the bad stuff i said these are network television shows i said was there ever anything that they didn't allow you to put on tv because the shows were so outrageously confrontational and exposing sort of like the the sickest underbelly of all the things that are wrong Oops. with the economics and what and you told me two there were two episodes that right. you then that you then sent me and, and I to this day I tell the story about it. so one of these episodes was there was some county was it Mississippi or Alabama that they still had like some slavery
1: the, the state of the whole state of Mississippi and this is now in like nineteen ninety five yeah they had not ratified the amendments to the constitution after the civil war that outlawed slavery it was still legal.
0: Yes. yes. On yeah. the books in Mississippi.
1: Yeah. So so yes. So Rusty Cundiff was a film director and actor, uh, and I went down there, and uh, you and gotta, of course you,
0: you got to save the punchline of this till the end because because oh, oh. yeah, yeah. maybe but you should I, tell it then. I tell the story. I guess like, yeah, yeah, you, you tell you, it. You got to save the punchline. So 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 slavery in 1995 is still on the books in Mississippi. There cool. are no slaves in Mississippi, but it is still not. But at, at midnight on this particular day. Mississippi was finally going to ratify the 13th Amendment that emancipated the slaves. Right. So Mike goes down there and it's like the day it's the day of the like at midnight on tonight, slavery will finally in 1995 be illegal in Mississippi. So so Mike gets a guy to be a slave owner and shackled slaves, and takes them from like police station to police station to court, and the guy goes in. He's like, "Hey, I know that at midnight tonight, this is the, you know the slavery's off the books, but these slaves, they're very helpful to me, and I want to keep them. What, what will there be? Will you write me a ticket? What so, What will be like the legal penalty for keeping my very very helpful slaves?" And he does this, in all these places, and always plays in like the looks of outrage on these people's faces. But now, <laughs> the genius of the episode is that the slave owner yes. is black. Yes. The slave yeah, over- it's master. not me. And all, mm-hmm. it's and rusty. All, and all of the slaves are yes. white. Pe- are white people correct? Who are in shackles with this yes. black slave master, who's being taken to these white Mississippi police stations? As he's explaining, he really right. like what, and it, it looks on their faces. And that was one episode they did not allow you. Sponsors did not get behind it. The
1: sponsors would not uh, would not get behind it. We eventually got it on mainly because. The, half the money for that series, TV Nation, came from the BBC, so they didn't have any problem yeah, with this. Yeah, yeah. And I would often have they would have to call NBC to say, "Hey, you know, we're showing this. It's going to be weird. There, people are going to ask why are why are you cutting yeah. this out?" But it was, you know, at the I think what we did was at the end of it, uh, Rusty, yes. oh, the, yes. The, yes. the the black uh, slave owner of all these white slaves, handed them these little certificates of freedom. Yes. And uh, with
0: his last name,
1: with his last name. name. So, and they go, okay, come on over here, Billy, Billy Bob. You're now Billy, Billy Bob Cundiff. Come here. You're free. Uh, uh, Billy Bob Bob, you're free. Billy, Billy, Billy Bob. You're free, yeah, Um, and uh,
0: and all these little condiffs, the free, all the condiffs, the condiffs went off to live, went off to do
1: whatever. But that was so risky, though, shooting that because we went into like country bars, and he starts line dancing with his white slaves that are in shackles, and they're in a line in their shackles, and he's got a whip. Like if they don't dance right, yeah, 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 yeah. they get whipped. Yeah. Oh, it was no, it was it was really. Well, you know, it's it was dark as it should have been. The dark yeah. humor I like a lot, you know, but it's uh yeah, we eventually got that one on. I'm trying to think of the other one.
0: Oh, I remember it well. The other you remember? oh good, okay. I remember it very, very well. You sent me the VHS of these. And yeah, yeah. So, so the so the other one was Mike hired, you know, like they do Civil War reenactors and revolutionary war right. reenactors. So he hired like the people who really do like the civil war reenacting and the revolutionary war reenacting that dress up and stuff like that to reenact the battle of Hiroshima and the battle of Nagasaki. Yes. And so then they, these war actors reenacted those battles and and the sponsors were not into that either.
1: No. Well, I mean, myself and the writers, we were always trying to figure out where the line was that we weren't supposed to cross. And then we would cross it and see how far we could get. Yeah. Um, and so you you can't make fun of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and so, well, we're not making fun of it. We're only, we're actually criticizing it through satire. Yes. Um, but Gary Trudeau, who does Doonesbury, and his wife, Jane Pauley, they had warned me years and years ago that we live in a country where 50% of the country doesn't understand satire or irony. So, but Tom, do you remember what some of the other, some of the other battles were as equally offensive what is, as the, yep. the battle of uh, Hiroshima and Nakasaki. Well, I think it was because we're acknowledging that we are a violent people and we live in a violent society and we have exported our violence um, around the world. And I can't remember if it was a school shooting or whatever, but at the time it was, uh, and this is, this is before Columbine. I mean, this is like, and we just, you know, having civil war reenactors reenact a, a school shooting was way over the line yeah um but you know and then oh, we did another one another one that we got in trouble with where we wanted to teach uh students uh to be able to defend themselves should a shooter come into the school and so but we did this with kindergartners in pre-k where we take them to a gun range oh my gosh oh tom this was (laughs) i'm just gonna say right now this was wrong this was just wrong so Anyways, it, uh, yeah, no, thank you for remembering those things. It, um, it, I have to say though, because we were the number one rated show in our time slot, I learned another lesson about capitalism that, uh, 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 who was the famous, was it Lenin or or Marx said that the capitalists (laughs) will, yeah, will, will sell you enough rope to hang yourself, to hang them with, just as long as they can make a profit off the rope. Yeah. And um, as long as the networks were, we were doing well and we were making a lot of money for them, we could pretty much do anything. Yeah. And I thought, wow. So there's no moral compass here. There's no value system where they would say, you, you know. So we would just try to make it darker and darker. Yeah. And um, and eventually we had to leave uh, because, but but for a good two years on NBC. And then we got, we went over to Fox, not Fox News, but Simpsons, Fox. And uh, Simpsons is for three decades has maybe been the most left-wing show on network television. Um, But we tried it there. But again, it was, that was uh, with Rupert Murdoch. It was too, uh, it was too much for him.
0: Thanks so much, Mike. Uh, This has been part one of my discussion with Michael Moore. Tune in next time for part two, Maximum Firepower, featuring oscar-winning director michael moore we'll see you then
1: let foes
0: of justice tremble this has been tom morello's maximum firepower hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the sirius xm app
1: search maximum firepower